Authority is a, a funny thing in our lives. At times, we, we can try, but we can't escape authority. It, it has a way of asserting itself, imposing itself on us, and, and even at times when we least expect it. Uh, in this country, authority shows up in quite a number of ways. I think one that, well, maybe some of you are not familiar with is when you wake up in the morning and on your phone you find a text message that says you have committed a traffic offense in Ras al-Khaimah while driving vehicle number such and such. You are kindly requested to observe the traffic rules. It was not my phone. It may have been someone else's. All right, yes, I'm the culprit. And I didn't realize it, and it didn't matter that I didn't realize it, but my driving ran into the authority of this emirate. The police asserted their authority. I had no choice. I couldn't take it or leave it. If I thought I could, it it hit me, didn't it? Authority is. Authority exists. Who or what has authority in your life? Authority that you submit to. Be honest with yourself. You are under authority. Governmental, professional, spiritual. Who or what can speak into your life and interrupt your plans? To whom do you seriously submit? This morning we go back to John 6. John 6, the fourth gospel writer. 6 is the chapter number, the big number, and the verse numbers are the small numbers. The verse numbers are 41 to 71. And in this text, as Jesus brings the bread of life discourse to an end, he claims an authority that does not allow for indifference. He claims he has authority to do what no one else can do. So this is what I want you to see as we end the bread of life discourse. Jesus has authority to give eternal life. Jesus has authority to give eternal life. And no one is neutral toward Jesus. No one is neutral toward Jesus. I'm going to ask two questions of you from this passage this morning. The first is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And the second is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do? With Jesus. We begin with the first question Do you know Jesus? We'll read verses 41 through 59. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who's Father and mother we know. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, 
Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So it's not until the very end of this very long discourse that Jesus gave, most likely beginning way back in verse 26, that we learn he gave it in his hometown synagogue. So the day before begins with Jesus feeding a crowd of thousands, and it moves toward Jesus teaching, he is the bread of life who's come down from heaven. He's disclosed himself. And how did the Jews respond to his self-disclosure? Verse 41, they grumbled. Just like the Jews in the Exodus generation... This crowd cannot make sense of Jesus. They do not understand where he has come from, who he is, what he's offering, how to get it. Now, we're far removed from this day. And it's that distance that can make us think about Jesus in ways that just aren't real. We think about the miracles and the power and the crowds and and the fervor. And you can fail to see how human he was. That's the point of their offense in verse 42. The Jews are offended by his claims because they know him. He's Joseph's son. We know his family. He's a hometown boy. He's from here. 
He's not from heaven. Of course, what's the irony? They think they know his father and where he's come from. They don't know either. Not to know these realities about Jesus is not to know Jesus. They think they know all there is to know about Jesus' father. So Jesus teaches them again about his father. Verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. No one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So what Jesus says there is the negative expression of what he said back in verse 37 that we saw last week. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Which means this, no one can come to me unless the Father so works in your heart, gives you the inclination, gives you the ability to come. Jesus knows why the crowd does not know him. Reason is not going to get them where they need to go. They need revelation. They need the Father to reveal Jesus to them, to draw them. So Jesus is very clearly here teaching what is called the doctrine of election. That from eternity past, as eternal Father, not as a vague, abstract, distant God, God chose a people to give to his Son. Jesus has already taught this earlier such that he wants them to understand it is the Father who is decisive in anyone coming to Jesus. Why? Because spiritually, we aren't neutral people. We're dead. Our spiritual state is such that we need the Father to enable us to come to Jesus. Father must draw, give the desire, the inclination, the ability. So to truly know Jesus is to have been drawn powerfully, decisively by the Father. And Jesus is saying what begins by the power of God will end by the power of God. I will raise him up on the last day when he's dead. It's the crowning work of our salvation So, knowing Jesus means that revelation has authority over your reason. In God's world, we are meant to reason in light of God's revelation. So, for those of you who are students, you do not reason your way to the ultimate truths of the world. God must reveal it. He must reveal them. I I think... One of the reasons this teaching of Jesus can be hard for us is that naturally we think God owes us salvation. He owes us. Right? And yet, salvation by grace alone means that salvation is a gift which God is not obligated to give to anyone After we as a human race fell into sin, God did not owe salvation to even one person. If he had chosen to give salvation to even one person on the planet, it would have been all grace. And the rest of humanity would have received justice. The fact that the Father draws anyone, much less people from all nations, is a gift. It's all 
grace. Jesus is not here thrown off by their inability to perceive who he is because he knows more about them than they understand about themselves. If the Father drew them, verse 45, if the Father had taught them, if they had learned from the Father, they would be able to make sense of Jesus. And so here he gives them a lesson from the Old Testament. There in verse 45, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah 54, 13, a passage which speaks of of God's future glory in in the backdrop of his own people's exile. I think it's actually possible they had already read this passage in the synagogue that day. And Jesus is saying, you understand this passage. In that day, they will be taught by God from the prophets. God's people had lived with an expectation, just like you do from your nations. Your your nations have a national story. God's people's own history had a story in which they expected God to bring about a new covenant different from the old covenant. And in the new covenant, the prophets prophesied each member will know the Lord. They would be taught by God. And Jesus is saying in his person, this new covenant has come. If you were taught by God, you would see who I am. Jesus is saying clearly, he has more authority than Moses, more authority than the prophets. You know, they may have seen God in some partial form, but Jesus, verse 46, has seen the Father because he comes from the Father. He knows the Father. And so Jesus says, whoever believes has eternal life, not in the future, but now. So here is Jesus against this backdrop of revealing how he's uniquely related to the Father. He's seen the Father. He has the Father's seal set on him, calling this crowd to believe, to receive life, eternal life, resurrection life, life of the age to come. Eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. If they knew Jesus, they would believe in Jesus. The same is true for you. Jesus will not let you stop at arguing over him. He calls you to believe him, in him, on his terms for who he really is. Jesus did not disclose himself that day for the sake of a good debate. He revealed himself that you might believe. They do not know Jesus, and therefore they do not know the life Jesus has brought into the world. It's in this context that Jesus says again, I am the bread of life. That he gives lasting, satisfying life in his person. You heard this last week. How did it affect your week this past week? Think back over the week. What bread did you feed on? What did you run to? What habits, what patterns did you go back to? Because you cannot imagine life in which your soul is satisfied in Jesus. 
As you're sitting there in that chair this morning, the bread of life is being held out to you. Bread that satisfies. Now is your time to feast spiritually. And in the next week, if you've trusted Christ, bread that has come from heaven is what is meant to fuel your soul. Your soul's life. Now weigh that in light of whatever it is that tempted you this past week and will tempt you next week. You will not stop feeding your soul with that until you come to know Jesus more deeply and are satisfied in him. So this past week, Jenny and I were able to see some older, longtime friends who have labeled, labored for the gospel in this place for a long time, in this region, I should say. Uh, they're now retirement age, and they are doing with their lives in these years what the world is obviously not doing. Just thinking about them, I, I thought they have missed out on so much of the bread of this world. They are living in these years what there's not one marketing scheme about retirement holding out to anyone. And yet to be with them is to know they have a joy that this world cannot touch and cannot take away. They have so fed on the bread of life that it has changed their life in ways this world cannot understand. Jesus wants this crowd. He wants you to eat this bread. But they don't understand it. They only know about bread that came from heaven centuries ago. Bread or manna, verse 49, that their fathers ate. It was miraculous. But Jesus says, your father still died. And, and what is he doing? He is revealing to them. He is giving bread from heaven for God's helpless and hungry people once again. Jesus is the bread of life from heaven. Eat of this bread and you will not die. Even more, verse 51, you will live forever. Now to read this is to know that Jesus is talking in a very Jewish way to a Jewish crowd. He expects them to understand manna from heaven was not God's ultimate provision. It was moving, pointing forward to something greater and better. And as ordinary as he appeared, that someone was standing right in front of them. Bread that if they feasted on, they would live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What a surprising turn all of this takes. Jesus will give his own life, sacrificing his body on the cross. I don't expect that made complete sense to them when they heard this. That he's going to lay his body down, sacrifice his flesh. But that is, of course, what he's saying. Do you know him Another way I could ask that is, do you believe in him? If you do, it's because the Father has drawn you. It's because the Father has given you spiritual sight to see his goodness and truthfulness and glory and how satisfying he is. His sacrificial laying down of his body, it's so naturally offensive and foolish. It's to you glorious 
and you see it. You know him. Brother or sister, that is an inexpressible gift. Maybe right now in your own life, the reason that you're not satisfied or maybe the reason you're not content is because you have grossly underestimated what God has given to you in Christ. Do you struggle with contentment? Do you want to grow in being someone who's content? Grow in the understanding of what God has given to you in Jesus Christ that you possess right now. Grow in glorying in the fact that Jesus sacrificed his life for you on the cross to give you a life and life you are not owed. And then you know what you should do? You should do that again and again and again, day after day after day. Bread that satisfies because you know him. In response to all of this, the Jews did not come. Verse 52, they disputed. How could Jesus give his flesh to eat? They still cannot make sense of spiritual reality. He seems so ordinary to them. They dismiss him. That's not different from the world we live in. What is extraordinary to our world? Very basically, a fireworks show on New Year's Eve, a VIP invite-only Beyonce concert in Dubai, tall buildings, big crowds. What is extraordinary in the eyes of heaven? Look around. Look around. The world can do some amazing things. The world cannot make this happen for all of its power. Only Jesus does this. Only Jesus can give a a people who are missing out on so much of this world stuff joy the world can't touch. Do you know him? You might know the answer to that question by how you relate to the stuff of this world and the gift God gives from heaven. Salvation, the church, pressing on in faith. All of these seem ordinary. They're extraordinary. You who have believed in Jesus, you know what it is to walk through this world seeing in ways and seeing glory and reality that sustains you in life. But not this crowd. They can't see. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They cannot see beyond what is physical. They only only understand what is physical. They can't discern the spiritual. They don't know him because they are not convinced. So in response, Jesus begins teaching here in an extended metaphor, verse 53, about his flesh and and eating and drinking of his blood. You, You see that all over these verses. Jesus is greater than manna and Moses bread from heaven, Verse 58, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on him lives forever. It's necessary to eat his flesh, drink his blood. If you don't, verse 53, you have no life in you. Whoever does, this verse 54, has eternal life. Jesus will raise him up on the last day. 
Now, what is lost on us, I think, when we read these verses is what was in their own minds probably as they heard this was Leviticus 17. Go back and read that chapter later today. God makes clear there in Leviticus 17, all of it, especially verse 12, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood. Neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. And there's reasons given for why that is. And here's Jesus saying, the only way to life is to drink my blood. Friends, this is not literally about eating and drinking the flesh and blood of Jesus. That's, it, it, it's not what the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church teaches. Other traditions have taught when it comes to the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Jesus has already said this in another way in verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. To come to him means to believe in him. To eat and drink of Jesus is to believe in Jesus. It is to, verse 54, have eternal life and to be certain of being raised up on the last day because Jesus' flesh is true blood. Uh, his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. Physical to communicate the spiritual. He's using food. It's, it's an apt analogy. Food becomes part of our body. So when you eat and drink of Jesus, when you believe in him, you become one with him. You, verse 56, remain in him. But it also means he remains in you. He identifies with you. He gives his spirit, his presence. This is called mutual indwelling. And it is yours when you believe in Jesus. And you will live, verse 57, because of Jesus. He's saying to you, I will mediate the life that is mine to you. And by virtue of union with Christ, that life is yours. So what is yours in knowing Jesus? One, it is to be known deeply, personally, and here's the shock, lovingly by the Father. To be in him, spiritually, he and you, to know experientially this life he brings into the world. And it is to ultimately know life when he raises your body on the last day. So for you as a Christian, you have tasted eternal life. But as they say where I grew up, you ain't seen nothing yet. God is going to raise your body. All of that, yours now in Jesus. world cannot take that away from you. You're certain about things in your future that the world can't even begin to conceive of. Do you know him? Not do you know this or that about him. Do you know him? Does he know you? You ever been around somebody for a, a long period of time? Maybe that's someone at your workplace, maybe at school, maybe it's somebody in your, your family. And when you take a step back for a moment, you think, I don't really know him. I don't know her. They're familiar, but I don't know them. I go to the, well, I assume you do too. I go to the corner market several times a week here. Sadly for me, it's to get Diet Coke. Diet Coke. 
That's honestly how they know me as I come in. I'm familiar to them. I think I'm strange to them because of what I buy. But they don't know me. This Jewish crowd was so familiar with Jesus. They knew him, his parents, where he grew up. They know this guy. They don't know him. Familiarity with Jesus is not the same thing as knowing Jesus. Do you know him? It's the greatest privilege of your life. It cannot be taken away from you. This year, what will you do to know him? To know him more? What will you do to make him known to others? To know him is to be changed by him. Now, if you're a Christian, you know what this is. You know it when you see it. It's the older saint who's walked with Jesus for decades, who's not marked by bitterness or anger, but has this joyful contentment in Jesus. It's the widow who who weeps, but knows joy because she knows him and knows she is loved by the Father. It's the saint who faces sickness, but is so clearly satisfied in Jesus Christ. It's the Christian who at their own workplace has known loss. But in spite of that loss, they have eternal life. They know their workplace or their boss cannot take away. It is the couple who does what the world considers to be totally foolish in their retirement because they've lived their lives not in view of retirement, but in view of the resurrection. And all of those are people I either saw, thought about, or talked to this past week. Jesus is the bread from heaven, the bread of life, and he gives his life by giving up his own flesh. Do you know Jesus? That leads us to the second question of this text. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Verses 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. There's no neutrality with Jesus. He moves from the larger Jewish crowd now to those who are the disciples And here you see there are disciples and there are disciples. These disciples, here is teaching, but they're not true disciples. 
Might have been fascination with his power, his, his teaching, his miracles. They were not following Jesus for Jesus. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The problem wasn't that what Jesus taught was hard to understand. The problem was that what Jesus taught was hard to accept and obey. But he wasn't surprised by their grumbling. He says to them in verse 61, do you take offense at this? And what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he has come from? Remember, he's the bread of life who's come down from heaven. Now he's speaking about going back to where he was before. Incarnation to the ascension. But how could Jesus' ascension be more offensive than what he was just talking about when he was saying, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood? Maybe he's saying, once you see me ascend in glory, the offense will be gone. But in John's gospel, John shows Jesus again and again saying, he will be lifted up on the cross. The way back to where Jesus has come from, the way in which he will ascend goes through the cross. So if you think eating of my flesh and drinking of my blood is offensive, you just wait until the cross. Wait until you see what all that was actually about, what it's pointing to. Jesus does not want anyone to be confused. He will lay his flesh down. He will give spiritual and physical life to the world. By laying down his body. He is bringing the life of the spirit to the world. But it only comes through the cross. So there is a division. Now where is the division? What's it over? Is it over Jesus? Yes. But notice what he says. Verse 63. These words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus will not separate his person from his words. They grumbled, they disputed, they questioned, they found his words hard to accept. Now, that's no different from today. Division over Jesus' words, what he taught. He didn't really claim to be God, he didn't really die on the cross. And if he did die on the cross, he didn't die on the cross to atone for sin or to satisfy God's wrath. He did it to set an example of love. He doesn't really mean that I have to put that sin to death, that I have to count that cost to follow him. It's his words from his mouth, from the mouth of the apostles and the prophets that are so hard for the world to accept that calls offense, the brilliance of humanity in twisting Jesus' words. There's always the temptation to make him say less than he said, to soften his teaching. What will you do with Jesus? If you're a Christian, what are you ignoring right now? It might be what he teaches on being anxious. You don't believe his rule is good, that his Reign is complete. You are determined to know more than he's revealed to you. You are determined to control when he says to trust and to give you rest. It might be he said no to whatever it is you want to try to twist to make him say yes. Sexuality, 
what he says about what you cannot do. You don't believe his words are good, that you know better. Did God really say has been the question of the world for a long time. From the beginning, do you see what the serpent did? He attacked God's words. He undermined them. He questioned them. That's the battle in our souls each week. Believe Jesus' words. Believe him. Stand on his words. Jesus is not confused in front of this crowd. He's clear. Verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. The same is true in this room. If you're honest, you would say his words are hard to accept. What he's calling you away from, what he's calling you to, he interrupts your comfort. You know, you know you're bumping up with his authority and it's interfering with you in uncomfortable ways. But do you see Jesus is not calling you to a life of misery? He's calling you to life. He's come because you are in need. And you don't know that naturally. Your your sin has left you helpless before God. But more than that, your sin has left you guilty before God. And what is remarkable is God has sent his only son who has authority into the world to lay his life down for the world to give up his life, to give up his body on a cross that you might have life and be reconciled to God. Jesus brings life. Death could not hold him. God raised up Jesus. Jesus will raise up all who trust in him. And now he's ascended to the, the Father and his authority. He's reigning. He calls you to come, eat and drink to repent and believe in him and to find this life in his name. What will you do with Jesus? Whatever it is, realize this. Jesus has authority and Jesus rules. He was in control that day. He is in control now. He knew from the beginning of his ministry, of the world, of eternity past? Yes. He knew who would not believe and would betray him. He was never shaken by unbelief. Notice he says it again in verse 65. This is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Do you realize he's not saying this to be controversial? He wanted his disciples to know these deep truths for their own perseverance and faithfulness. Despite what the world thinks, there's no such thing as an autonomous decision maker in our world. Totally free will in a world in which the scriptures clearly say your will is enslaved in bondage to sin. Jesus told this crowd, come to me for eternal life. And as he did this, he's not weak and helpless. He did so in love. And he told them to come to him on his terms because it is the only way to eternal life. Jesus means for you to know this confidence. Now, I know you as a church. I know you. And I know as I'm standing here before you how many of you desire to make Jesus Christ known. Why don't people believe? It's perplexing. It's not because Jesus is weak. 
It's not because human beings are ultimately in the driver's seat of the world. It's because, and this is what Jesus wants us to hear, this is why I told you that no one, would, uh, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. He doesn't want you discouraged when despite your faithfulness, unbelief persists. God is reigning over every moment, over every salvation, and he uses means to accomplish his sovereign ends. When we pray for others' salvation, even as we've done in this service, what do we pray? Oh, Lord, save them. Save. Because we know that if the Lord doesn't act, it won't happen. This is why we go and tell and share. Because we know that the Lord uses means to his ends. So Jesus' words are hard, but they are true. They bring division. Notice how much that day. Verse 66, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They grumbled, disputed, until they walked away. Now you know this if you follow Jesus. Friends, family members, members of this church just walked away. Something became too alluring. His words became too hard. Don't walk away. There's a hymn that says to the Christian, think What spirit dwells within you? What a father's smile is thine. What a savior died to win thee. Child of heaven, can you repine? Which just means turn back. Believe his words are good. Believe his words are satisfying, even if you don't fully understand. And at the same time, it's always a tragedy. But people walking away is not a surprise. It happened right in front of Jesus's face. What patterns or habits or relationships or accountability have you put in place in your life to ensure that verse 66 is not the story of your life? Don't let that be your life story. They walked away. And so Jesus turned to the 12. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed. We know you're the Holy One of God. For whatever else they did not understand, they understood that. And they followed. But even if there was a twinge of pride in Peter's voice, we believed, we know. Jesus does not want to think, them to think they've done him the favor. He gave them grace. Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. From the wider crowd to the disciples to the twelve, some followed and then even another because of love of money would simply walk away. More than that, betray Jesus. That Jesus might give up his body to give life to the world. All of these real decisions under the authority of God to bring about his salvation plan that Jesus who came down from heaven might ascend back to the heavens by way of the cross. Do you know Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? He has authority. He has come from heaven. He has seen seen God. He alone has life and can give life. And with his authority, he sacrificed his flesh to give life to the world. 
To know him is to be known personally, lovingly, eternally by the Father. To have been drawn by him. And it means not just to know his good authority in the present. It means to know it in power. When on the last day he interrupts the universe and raises you, your life, and your body from the dead.